Well, it is great to be here again, and uh, um, thank you for your many prayers for us, uh, for myself, for my wife, and uh, also for the church. And thank you for uh, being part of the mission work that God has enabled us to do for so many, many years. And um, so we have a great relationship that has been established by God's grace for so long. Um, So lovely to be here. Having said that, you may wonder if we are such a, a nice congregation that you love us and why in the world you bring a message like this from James chapter 4. Uh, just to put your mind at rest, that's the way the providence led me. For a, normally a preacher who is coming from outside uh, probably may not look, go to a passage like this because he wants to be nice to you. <laughs> right. But uh, that's what I have decided to preach so I couldn't pull out of it. So let's see what the Lord has to say uh, through this passage. And I'm sure there will be a lot that I myself have to learn uh, and bring changes into my thinking and the way I live. And the same goes for you. Well, James uh, chapter 4, the first uh, three verses. Um, Maybe read the first four verses. And uh, notice what uh, James is saying. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasures that war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and it cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet do not. Have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulteress and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, in hearing, uh, reading these verses or this passage, probably you're already thinking whether this letter was written to Christians or non-Christians. Who is James writing this letter to? Many have wondered about that. There are commentators who suggest that James was writing to a much wider audience than to a Christian church. The reasons for such thinking was the kind of language that James is using here. In verse 1, you notice he says, Where are wars and fights come from among you? Crazy, isn't it? Why do you write something like that to Christians? We are peace-loving people. We don't fight. We don't quarrel. That's what we think. He says in verse 2, you murder and cannot obtain. 
what are you talking about here? He calls these people, you are murderers. And verse 2 again, you fight and you war. Little skirmishes and major battle. And verse 4, even harder. Language he uses, adulterers and adulteresses. Verse 8, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Again, in the same verse, he says you are double-minded. Verse 9, lament and mourn and weep. So you can understand why some people thought that he probably not writing to Christians or a Christian church. It was said at that time, during those days, there were various Jewish groups. And one group in particular entertained murder. And therefore, James is addressing such people. Now, the truth is, James wrote this epistle to a Christian church, Christian people, and not to the non-Christian public. The language he uses should not surprise us. And uh, as you read the entire epistle, you would find... And in, in comparing this with the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus frequently used language like that. Now, Jesus is a half-brother of James. They were brothers. And uh, Jesus never minced his words. And he called what it is. The spade, the spade. So James, being seen Jesus' ministry, being with Jesus for a very long time, that he uses the similar language. He follows his brother and his ministry. Jesus didn't know worldly diplomacy. He didn't use gentleman's language to cover up sin. And James is doing exactly that here. That's what James is. And Jesus was like his brother. So James is taking this problem that existed among these Christian people. And he takes that head on. And he is using appropriate language to address it. That's what he's doing. It was a serious problem in the church. During the first century, you know, they were under the Roman Empire. Um, they were also struggling. They were, had to go through persecution in those days. And there were other issues and problems as well. And uh, these are people who have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and love the Lord Jesus Christ. They come together as a church, worshiping God. But... The remaining sin in us as such, there are also problems among them. You know about the Corinthian church. There are many divisions. There were many factions. And uh, they did the same thing. So it's not unusual for such difficulties that existed among Christians. 
And many people in those days were poor as well, and slaves under the Romans. But yet, none of these things stopped them fighting, causing trouble in the church. There were private quarrels, people taking others to low courts, social rival, rivalries, there were factions, religious controversies, you name it. They all existed. Some people, just like the Corinthians, were seeking preeminence in the church. And they would go to any length to attain it. Terrible it is when Christians do that. There are sometimes non-Christians laugh at Christians when they hear about things that are happening in the churches. But we shouldn't be surprised. We are saved by grace. Wonderfully, God has transformed us, given us great abilities, graces to live a holy life for the glory of God. But in order to do that, we need to fight and battle against the remaining sin and put to death every sin. And the remaining sin is strong and it is powerful. There are Christians who don't realize that. Unless you keep fighting, keep examining yourself, watch your heart, Repent each day the sins that you commit and keep away from temptations. It will be impossible for you to live a godly life. To progress in holiness and godliness, you need to deal with the remaining sin. You cannot underestimate the power of it. But we have the ability to master we have the ability to rule over the flesh. But we got to do our duty by grace with the help of Christ. And the Holy Spirit does help. But if we don't do that, then we will be fighting against each other. So don't be surprised. So James, noticing all this, he takes the problem head on. He uses harsh language to deal with the issues that were in the church. And you know, churches around today, you hear about these things that are going on in churches. I even heard about a, at least a pastor who sued the church for money. I heard and read about incidents where ugly language had been used in church meetings and some even trying to attack people. There are people who are misbehaved and uh, done things, bad things to office bearers of the church. So I'm saying this so you don't have to be surprised at the behavior of people in the Christian church. It is true that these are sinful things that we must never do. But you know the man called Diotrephus, we read in the New Testament, who didn't even allow the apostles to visit the church. A self-centered man. 
So even sinners who are saved by God's grace, when they fail to kill sin in them, they do things that are horrible. It's very sad when they do it. They bring shame to the cross of Christ. So I want us to examine this passage before us this morning. And let us look at them under three headings. First of all, the problem identified. And secondly, the root cause of the problem. And thirdly, the appropriate solution to the problem. The problem identified. So the news has reached the years of James by the problems that existed between Christians and the church. The Christians generally are to love each other, care for each other, and to enjoy peace and harmony, and not to battle amongst each other. Now James doesn't tell us in his epistle how he got to know about these that were going on among people. But news travels fast. There are people who brought certain things that were happening in the Corinthian church to the ears of the Apostle Paul. Sanctified gossip. And Paul knew what was going on. So James knew about it. He discovered these problems and he decided to deal with. And you notice here that James is not trying to cover up the problem. He's very open about it. He describes the problem with all its ugliness. And see how he describes the problem among Christians. He gets into it straight away. In verse 1, he accuses them of engaging serious fighting among themselves. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? There were problems among themselves and they were also fighting in public. In verse 2, he accuses them of murder. But well, that is very harsh. Surely these people were not murdering each other. I don't think anybody committed physical murder. But you know what James is talking about. In verse 11, notice what he says. Do not speak evil of one another. Brethren, those are Christians. That's why he uses the term brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. James speaks a lot about using our mouth and our tongue carefully in this letter. So he's speaking about committing murder in the way that we use our tongue. Speaking evil of a brother and trying to reduce his reputation in the eyes of other people by saying lies 
falsifying statements. And James says that is committing murder. You speak evil of another brother. You want to bring, bring him down. And that is considered as murder. The Ten Commandments forbids that. And the Ten Commandments says that do not murder. This is included in that. Committing murder with our mouth. Slandering people. That's what he's talking about. They did not commit physical murder. But being Christians, verbally, they were killing people. Reducing their reputation. James said in chapter 3, in verse 8, Tongue is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. And again, he accuses them of fighting and quarreling. Read for yourself the first 12 verses of chapter 3 to understand the terrible evil that tongue can do. Well, tongue doesn't operate in it on itself. But it is our heart from which all evil proceed. And tongue is a member of our body. So we use our tongue to do horrible things. We should be praising God with our tongues. And speaking good of people with our tongues. But here it is the opposite. See? So James has already pointed out. He says a man who thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue. Deceives his own heart. And his religion is useless. Worthless. See that? So the people in the early church, they read this letter of James. They would have been shocked about James's accusation. Probably James is using strong language here to make them realize the seriousness of their conduct. It is extremely bad. One commentator says that James is probably thinking about murder in the heart. 1 John chapter 3, verse 15, we read, Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Right? And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. That is serious. We hate our brother. Have that vengeance and heart. Think terribly about the person, then the scripture considers that as committing murder. And the murderer will have no place in heaven. The Sermon on the Mount, our Lord equates anger with murder. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever commits murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, 
Rekha shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hell fire. So you notice here that James is clearly, he discovered the problem and he boldly addresses it using powerful language to show the ugliness of it. So the problem is identified. It is important. You want to deal with it, you've got to understand the problem. You can't cover it up. You can't treat it lightly. Jesus would never do that. James would never do that. That's why he had to openly bring that before the people. This is what you are doing. Shame on you. Even non-Christians would be careful. But you Christian people doing this in the name of Christ? Committing murder? Wars? Commissions among you? How horrible. There's such a wonderful gospel that we have to preach to people so sinners might be converted. And how in the world we Christians can live like this? So James is opening up the problem as he knows the best. Secondly, the root cause of the problem. Not only James identified the problem, openly spoke about it, it's also important that he must deal with it, find solutions, how to get rid of these problems. So just having an understanding of the problem itself will not automatically solve it. So first James identified the problem and he speaks about the evil of it, exposing it with all its ugliness. Now he's going to take it head on to deal with it. Now in the dealing with the problem, James often asks questions. In the example, in chapter 3 and verse 13, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Throwing a question at them. The problem there is a lack of wisdom among Christians. So James raises the question in order to address the problem. He does the same thing here in chapter 4. By asking the question, James brings out the problem into open. What is the source of conflicts and quarrel among you? What is it? It is a two-part question. In verse 1, he first asks, Where do wars and fights among you come among from you? Secondly, he says, do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? Is James doing something unnecessary? Now, Paul did the same thing. In Romans, in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Paul asks, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin any longer live in it? Therefore, he says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. 
In verse 19 of chapter 6, I speak in human terms because of the weaknesses of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to of uncleanness and of unlawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness for holiness. For when you are slaves of sin, you are free in regard to righteousness. Now the lust that Paul mentions here is the lust that is found in us and that which manifests itself in causing dissension and disunity among believers. So James addresses the same thing in chapter 4 and verse 2. You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war and you do not have because you do not ask. So notice what he says here in this verse. He begins to address the root cause of the problem. You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. So there are two words here that are important. The word have and the word obtain. You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. Now these two words that James uses here suggest what was causing the conflict among the brethren. There are two areas that were causing the problem among them. One is material possession. And the other is seeking prominence and positions in the church. Material possession and seeking prominence in the church. Now, James has already addressed this in the previous chapters. He addresses the area of material possession in chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. And he says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man with filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place. And say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Verse 5, he says, Listen, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and as of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not rich oppress you and drag you into courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? And he continues that. In verse 8 he says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. 
These Christians were going through many difficulties, but yet that didn't stop them behaving like this. Some people are given into their lust for more and more and more. Materialism began to govern their hearts. They began to look down upon those who are not wearing good clothes, fine apparel, and began to treat them poorly. So there's partiality in the church. Their hearts were governed with the lusts, gave prominence to those who are wealthy and despised those who did not have. James says in chapter 2, verse 9, if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. How many people think that they are showing partiality? But they do that. What a terrible thing. Now, this problem is not caused by unbelievers coming into the church, but this was in the hearts of the believers. Do you not agree that materialism in its various forms is the source of much conflict? Materialism certainly causes problem. So here, these people to whom James wrote this letter, they were showing preferential treatment to some believers and ignoring others. The reason was that their heart was corrupt by materialism. And James is addressing the sin in verse 3. In chapter 4, 3, you ask and you do not receive. In other words, you are praying to God, but you are not receiving it. God is not hearing it. Why? Because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your own pleasures. The expanded translation of this verse goes like this. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. In order that you may spend what you receive on your pleasures. That's not a right kind of praying, right? God knows your heart. Before you once you start praying, he knows what you're going to do. He sees it. Nothing can be hidden from God. So these people... Seeking material wealth. They were asking in a wrong way with wrong motives. They were asking with the intention that if God gives it, that I can use it in their own pleasures. How in the world God is, God is going to answer that prayer? So you don't get it. You're not praying right, so you are not obtaining it. It is for your own pleasure that you pray. And the materialism will not help you to be content with things in life. That's terrible. So this problem continues among Christians even today and in churches. And James is taking it 
and head on and addressing it. It is shocking, but it is true among people. Do we not read in the Bible about Ahab's covetousness for the land of Nahab? That is there in the Old Testament for us to read. And he eventually killed him. We are vulnerable to commit this sin. And Christians often commit this sin. Otherwise, James would not have written it. Paul writes in the Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11, Not that I speak in this regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Contentment is the grace that we need to practice. The only way to deal with the sin. Be content. Trust in the sovereignty of God. Deal with the heart and the problems of the heart. Paul says, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I was content when things were going well, when I was supplied well. And I was content when times when I did not have. Contentment. It's a grace to be exercised. Just last week, I met a pastor. He came to visit me. We have talked about an hour and a half. But most of the time he talked. And I couldn't get a word in between. I patiently listened. The entire conversation is how bad the people are. They are not giving. They are not giving. In torn complaining, they are not giving. He has done everything, got preachers from outside the church to preach on giving, and that didn't work. They're not giving. I don't know whether that's true or not, but I said to him, well, if they're all Christians, uh, and uh, really, as you say, that they are not giving, I think there's a serious problem. Something else is causing it. You need to find out. You and your deacons need to address it and find out. Complaining is not going to help. I don't know what he was doing in the church, right or wrong, all the time about speaking about money. That's not a good thing. Well, I did tell him that too. I wonder whether his heart is right. How much you need, how much more you want. I don't know all the detail, but the way he was all the time talking about money, 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 was contentment. Why don't you pray to God? Seek the Lord's help. Bring all your burdens and difficulties to your, before God. And pray. God would do wonderful things. He would meet our needs. Contentment is to be practiced. Well, these people didn't have it. The people to whom James is writing, 
Jesus speaks about that. Don't worry about things. Don't be anxious over everything. Bring every need before God and place it on him and wait upon him. The sovereign God looks after us in every way with every need. He's not to be doubted. He will do all things well according to his will. And we are to love God and to serve people out of that love for God. There's another possible source of problem that is, James says, you murder and covet and cannot obtain. The better construction of this is suggested by another translation. You desire and do not have, so you kill. And you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and wage war. So the idea is that you covet for a position, and when you are not able to have it, you begin to engage yourselves in ugly deeds, which will eventually cause you to commit even murder. Of course, it all starts with your heart and verbal expression of it. So James says it's possible even among Christians. The murder here is, of course, is the murder of the heart. That's what Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount. And James has already addressed this in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we will receive stricter judgment. There were some in the church, in the early church, who were seeking position of teaching. They did not have the ability or the qualifications, but they were desiring for the position with selfish motive, <coughs> for selfish gain. So James is dealing with it straight away. So this is another evil that caused conflict in the church and even divided the church and the members. Apostle Paul addresses that in 1 Corinthians. So these are the two that were causing problem in the church. I think I mentioned yesterday in the meeting that someone said that there is a Pope in every person. We don't have to deal with the Pope, with the other people. Our, the one who is in us. We are very good at dealing with others' problems. <clears throat> not the problems in our own heart. Third John, John's third letter, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephus, who loves to have the prominence among them, <clears throat> does not receive us. Therefore, if, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, Prating against us with malicious words. Not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Now James here in chapter 3 verses 13 to 16 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? So let him show by good conduct that his works are done in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, 
Do not boast and lie against the truth. James says in verse 16, For envy and self-seeking exist. Where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. How can this be among believers? Two answers. Possibly some may not even be Christians. Simon the Magabus, the magician, not a believer. So, some may not even be Christians. That is why we practice in our churches a guarded, regenerate membership. You need to have purity in the church. So they need to show evidences of their conversion and godliness. Secondly, believers not watching their heart and dealing with their remaining sin. That causes trouble. Romans 7, 19, Paul says, For the good that I will do, I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, I that I practice. So we need to deal with the remaining sin. We need to deal with the remaining sin in us, keep the flesh under control in order to be good to others. You can't love your neighbor, your brother or sister, unless you deal with your remaining sin. We all have responsibilities. We all need to do that. The same James, I preached a sermon in chapter 5. Confess your sins to one another. That's the only passage that explicitly speaks of that duty. It is addressed in different ways in other places, but explicitly that verse says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. When if we are Offending other people in some way, rather than allowing it to develop into a major skirmishes or a battle, if you immediately recognize what you have done and confess your sin to your brother, it's terrible, I shouldn't have thought about you that way, but I wanted to say to you, and uh, I'm sorry. What a sweet fellowship that is going to develop, right? And if you keep doing it, how many times? Rest of your life. <laughs> You're capable of sinning every day. You're capable of thinking bad about others every day. We keep offending people and we think it is, oh, that's not a major thing. A lot of people say that. Well, I haven't committed murder. Well, just I snapped at him. That's it. What's the big deal about it? Why in the world do you snap at people? You've got to re- realize in your conscience that's wrong. Is that what holiness that you desire? So apologize. Isn't that terrible thing that we can't bring ourselves to say sorry to people, to our brothers and sisters whom we love? Now if you don't do that, if you don't confess your sins to one another, and we will turn up, to a Corinthian church. If you deal with it immediately, 
deal with our own heart and the sinful attitudes and in our own mind and heart and ask God's grace to help us to be better Christians. More and more grace that we show, then that is where a beautiful relationship is going to continue. But it, it got, there's a work to be done to develop that. So, read Romans 6, mortification of sin. John Owen said, if you don't kill sin, sin will kill you. <laughs> That's the only thing that we have to do about sin. Kill it. If you keep killing it, that it can't raise its ugly head. So we can keep ourselves secure in Christ. And uh, there will be safety for brothers and sisters. There won't be safety for brothers and sisters in the church if we don't deal with our own sins. Not small or big. We've got to keep dealing with it. The only way we are going to love each other and live together. Well, finally and quickly, the appropriate solution to the problem. Verse 2, part B in chapter 4. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now, the charge here is not about prayerlessness, but about a wrong kind of prayer. How is praying going to solve the problem of wars among Christians? By speaking about their prayers, James is exposing their sinfulness and evil attitude. The problem was that they have let sin dominate in their lives and are entertaining wrong motives in their hearts. It is their wrong motives that caused all the strife and conflict in the church. So what must they do? Repent of your sin. Have a clear conscience and pray aright. You are praying wrong. Because you are asking things from God so you can spend it on your pleasures. That's not going to work. Your heart is not right. Your prayer is not right. So you need to repent of your sin. This kind of selfish prayer out of jealousy in, in order to do your own things and to satisfy your own pleasures will not going to work. And when God is not answering their prayers, they are accusing God. So the sinful patterns have developed in these people's lives and that is making their prayers useless. And it's creating all kinds of problems among believers in the church. Right. Here's the applications. What, what are we supposed to do as Christians? We must maintain biblical church unity. That unity will be impossible unless we take responsibilities 
our responsibility is seriously to deal with our remaining sin each day and grow in holiness. You are your brother's keeper in the church. You sin less growing in holiness, that will rub on other people. And you, you will behave well. That is safety. If you go down, you are going to drag others along with you. So sin is never going to make people happy. There won't be unity in the church. Only strife, skirmishes and battle. But we, we need unity. I'm not talking about wider church unity, but unity in the local church. Unity in the local church. If we love Christ, we must love one another, care for one another. No room for partiality. There's no poor and wealth. Everybody is equal in God's sight. We have to love everybody because Christ loved them. And he saves them. He's not looking at whether the person is a wealthy or not to save him. He saves sinners. Every sinner who comes to him, he saves for his own glory. We need to love everybody, treat everybody equal. And maintain unity. Unity is so important in the church. There are three codes, or threefold code, that is necessary to maintain unity. First one is a correct teaching. Right? Correct teaching. Truth of the scriptures. Nothing but the truth. That's what we believe in. So teaching doctrine is very important to maintain unity. You can't throw away the truth and doctrines and trying to have unity. That is a false unity. Christ believed only one thing. The scripture teaches one thing. And we need to hold on to that. That is why we have our confession of faith. Comprehensively summarizes the things that we believe together. And we must believe in them. There can't be unity by having different ideas and different doctrines in the church. On vital doctrines I am talking about. You have to maintain unity in the church. And holding on to those things we dearly believe. Handed over to us by our fathers. Directly from the scriptures. Only that will keep us united. We must hold together the death grip, the things that we believe and hold together. Well, secondly, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Only way you, must, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit is dealing with your indwelling sin and being led by the Holy Spirit and growing in holiness. Increasingly, that's what Paul speaks so much about being filled with the Holy Spirit. He, is, he resides in us. That we will see the evidences and activity of the Holy Spirit in us. And we are more and more. We love God. And kill sin in us. And develop the graces of Christ in us. And we will be filled with the Spirit. 
So you see more of the Spirit in you. And thirdly, we need to maintain a sweet disposition among one another. Yeah. Brothers and sisters in Christ, take a resolution that I would not offend my brother or sister in any way. I would never become a threat to them. I love Christ and I love them. There's no harm even taking an oath every year that we are going to do that. We easily forget. We can be so selfish. We can be so selfish, so forgetful, but easily we are prone to offend each other. So we need to take responsibility for the things we are doing and the kind of life we live to maintain true unity in that sweet fellowship in the Lord Jesus Christ. Disunity will destroy us. That's right. We must never give in to it and we must be diligent to preserve that unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Each one in the church has a responsibility to maintain it. And that is where Christ will be present. It is sad to read what James is saying in this passage, but he, wouldn't, he had to do it. The people are putting Christ to shame by their behavior. But may God give us much grace and strength and the power of the Holy Spirit that we will be able to kill sin. Let us be known as sin killers. Until we die in Christ, that work will not stop. Keep killing with all humility. Keep killing our sin. Every temptation, deal with it. And grow in such a way that we can enjoy each other's fellowship in Christ and maintain the true peace that Christ demands among us. May God help us do that, brother. And let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the reminders from James, the leader of the Jerusalem church. And we thank you, Father, for his openness and so clearly that he was able to deal with those issues that the, among the Christians and to give wise counsel. We pray that you would also help us, that as your people, the reading your word regularly and examining our hearts regularly would not cause offense to you or to one another. Pray that your powerful work would continue in our lives, that we might be known for that true joy and peace and unity in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.